We're in this series, uh, it's uh, Overflow, and it's about uh, this cultivating gratitude in our hearts and the overflow that comes uh, from that. And uh, if you weren't with us last week, a couple of quotes that'll kind of catch you up uh, with us but is this. Uh, one is uh, from a Catholic monk, and he said it this way, the root of joy is gratefulness. It's not joy that makes us grateful, it's, it's gratitude that makes us joyful. And, and that's the heart of the matter. It's, the, it's gratitude that produces joy. It's not joy that produces gratitude. And so when we have gratitude in our hearts, it produces joy. And uh, there have been studies out, and there's a guy named Robert uh, Emmons that says it this way, that gratitude has the power to heal, to energize, and to change lives. And we believe it. We believe it today. So we want to kind of continue in that thought and, and as we study uh, gratitude and look at it a little further. If you got your Bibles with uh, you, you can turn to 1 Timothy chapter 6. 1 Timothy chapter 6, it's going to be on the screen if you don't, uh, and uh, you can take a look at it from there. Timothy is a book that is a letter written from this guy named Paul, and he writes it to his, his apprentice, his, uh, the person he's mentoring, and his name is Timothy. And Timothy is in the church in Ephesus. And we're in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17 where we'll start it off there, and it says this, command or instruct, depending on, on, on what uh, version you're looking at today, command or instruct those who are rich. So it's this little section here we're going to talk about, or he wants to say, when you address those who are rich, I want to teach them, instruct them. I, I don't know if you uh, know this, uh, but... People who are rich, they have certain qualities. Now, none of us, of course, are rich. None of us are rich. We got that, right? No, it's, it's not possible for us to be rich. But we all know somebody that is rich, don't we? We all know somebody that is rich. So just in case one day, just in case one day that you are rich or we get rich, if one day that guy publishing Clearinghouse, he shows up at that check at your house, do they still have the big check? Is Ed, is Ed still with us uh, in the, the big check? I don't think so. But if, if that happens one day and you win the lottery and you become rich, we want to learn how to, how, what do we do if we ever get that play, to that place, okay? So that's what we're gonna, really going to be learning about today. If we're ever rich, what, what, what should we do? And that's, that's Paul's instructions to, to Timothy. Now, in, in my observation of people that are rich, because we all know someone that's rich, is there's a few things that I've noticed about rich people. First of all, they live in denial, okay? People that are rich live in denial. Now, everyone else knows certain qualities about themselves. People that are rich don't really uh, acknowledge that, okay? For example, people who are short, you pretty much know that you're short, okay? You pretty much, now at this point in your life, you're like, yep, I'm short. Or if you're super tall, if you're hitting your head on doorposts, you know that you are tall, okay? We know that engineers are a certain way, okay? You can insert your engineer joke here, okay? Insert it rednecks, they know that they are rednecks, okay? People who are rednecks know that they are. Now, maybe it's because they get a knock on their door every now and then that says, are you having a yard sale? Uh, maybe that's the reason why. People that can't sing know that they can't sing, okay? We've, we've figured that out. We've acknowledged that. Artsy people, we know that they're artsy. They're, everything's a mess. Their cars are a mess. There's all, their office is a mess. We have one of those people on staff, and it's just constantly a, a mess, but it's okay. They're artsy, okay? That's who they are. They, they know that. Hipsters, they know that they're hipsters. 
All right, we all know they're hipsters because they're wearing way too skinny jeans, okay? Should, no one should wear jeans that skinny. But hipsters, they know they are because they are uh, cool before anything else is definitely cool. But people that are rich, they don't realize that they are rich. They don't, they don't realize that at all. In fact, there was a poll that was uh, out there that said, it basically said this. What does it mean to be rich? How much do you have to make in a year to be rich? And the, the number came back. $150,000. If you make $150,000, then you are rich. Guess what they did? They asked those people who made $150,000, are you rich? No, we're not rich. It's, it's those people that are rich. So then they asked another group of people, 35, people that make $35,000 a year, are, are, are you rich? No, 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 no. It's those who make $75,000 a year. Those people are rich. They asked those people, no, 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 no. It's that. No one is rich. Money Magazine, uh, they did this poll, and they said, to be rich, what's the number? In liquid assets, what would you have to have? And the number came back from the poll, $5 million in liquid assets. I do not read Money Magazine, all right? That much money, it's, it's, no one is rich. It's always someone else that we know, right? But let me kind of describe some things that rich people do. You're not going to believe this, all right? This is what rich people do. Rich people take a car that they, they own, and it's a perfectly good car. And they take the car, and they go to a, a car lot, and they give their car to the car lot, and then they give them more money on top of that to drive a car that's just a few years older. Can you believe that rich people do that? Oh, I know some rich people. They have a perfectly good kitchen, and they bust that kitchen up. And they, they, take, they replace the countertops, and they put like new like, items in there as well. Can you believe that? There, there are some rich people that feed their garbage disposal more food than like entire villages have. Rich people do that. Can you believe that? Or rich people have like perfectly nice golf clubs, but they want another kind of golf club that costs way too much money. Rich people, they do that. Other things rich people do, they go to their closets I don't know if you've ever, I've ever heard this before. They go to their closet and they look at all of their clothes and they go, I have nothing to wear. Or teenagers never do this. Never do this. Open the refrigerator full of food. Mom, there's nothing to eat. <laughs> there's nothing to eat. That's what, you, you can't believe that. Rich people do that. Some rich people they actually have a place. They actually have a place, a house that their car lives in. I'm serious. That's how, that's how rich people live. Some rich people, they have so much money and so much clean water that they feed their lawn. It's mind-blowing. It's mind-blowing stuff. This is, this is the truth, that if you make $47,500, your household, then you're in the top 1% in the world. The top 1%. Now, I was hoping that somebody would jump up, whoa, I'm rich, I'm rich, woohoo. Or if you make 25000 for your whole household in a year, you're in the top 10% of the world. 10% in the entire world. Wow. So, rich people. Okay, if we ever get there, okay, if we ever one day, if we live like some of those people, this is, this is kind of the letter for, 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 for when we get there one day. 
Let's keep reading on. And what does it say in Timothy? Command or instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant. Now, we all know some arrogant people, don't we? Don't we? Shake your head, yes. All right. If you're beside one, don't do this right now. That's not, not going to help us there. What are some qualities of arrogant people? Because we don't want to be arrogant. All right. We don't wanna, when we get rich, we don't want to be arrogant. I want you to turn to your neighbor. Give me some qualities. If you know somebody that's like that, just a couple of qualities of arrogant people share now. All right, you want to shout a couple of out to us? What's that? They're arrogant people are always right, always right. Somebody else? What? No, no, no names. What? They know more. They're the smartest person in the room all the time, aren't they? Arrogant people are. They never apologize. Why should they? They're always right. They're always right. Never. Anybody else? All right. The heart, really, of arrogance, I think, is just the world revolves around, around them. You, you get that? Just, everything is just like people are, are merely players in their world, okay? Everything is just, you're just co-actors in the starring role of me, uh, of life, all right? Now, if we ever, if we ever get rich, what, what the instructions here are this, don't be arrogant. Don't, don't be arrogant, because that's, you know, it's idolatry is making me, is making me God. Last week we looked at, if we want to really experience gratitude, there's two things to realize what it needs to happen here. First of all, there has to be an affirmation of goodness. There are good things. I love this shirt. You see it everywhere. I'm not too, too big on the, uh, the logo idea, but just the, the concept is awesome. It's, it, it's life is good. Have you ever seen those shirts before? Life is good. Life is good, folks. There are so many good things in your world. And I don't even know your world, but I know that there are good things. And I hope, I pray that this week you've had a moment where you've just stopped. And you're like, man, it's good. Just like our God in the very beginning said, wow, this is good. I hope in the middle of the chaos of your life, you've just stopped. Maybe your kids were, my kids are never like that. Uh, And you just had a moment. You were just like, man, God, thank you. You, you have given me so many good things. It's the acknowledgement, affirmation of goodness, and then it's the recognition of the source. It, it's the, the, this is not me. This is someone else has given us this, this recognition of the who. And Psalms 24.1 says this, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The world and all its people belong to him. Everything belongs to God, everything. And that's a hard concept for us especially earning, hardworking Americans to get our mind around that, that none of it is, is ours. None of it. Now, you, you hear your kids say, my this or my that. Or, have you ever had that moment where you're like, no, this is my room and this is my food and this is my... And you go, wait a second, I'm the one that bought that. I'm the one, this is my house. And you had that moment? I wonder if God ever says that to us, like thinks that about us. Because everything is his. We are his. Everything is his. Now, I want you to imagine something. Money's a little tight. You're going to go on a staycation again uh, come summer. But you get a call from an uncle, an uncle that has a house in Hawaii, okay? 
Hawaii. You're with me? And he says, you know what? Not going to use it for about 10 days in July. You're, you're, I want you to go there. And in fact, I've got a lot of points. I travel around the world a lot, so got some points. You take the whole family and fly to Hawaii for that 10 days. It's on, it's on the house. It's on me. So you get, you're, you, you get in the, the plane. You go to Hawaii. You get in this amazing house, and he tells you it's on the beachfront. Well, you notice it, it's actually like a block away from the beach. It's not really on the beach in Hawaii. And then and you, you open the refrigerator, and you're like, man, there's not any drinks in this refrigerator. And the bed is kind of lumpy, you know? Would you, like, immediately grab your cell phone? I cannot believe that this place is like this. How dare you not have drinks in the refrigerator for us? No, of course we wouldn't do that. Of course we wouldn't. But we make some audacious statements to the one who provides everything in our lives. Proverbs 38. This is, it's, it's, it's an amazing prayer. I, I'm trying to wrap my mind around this prayer and this proverb this week. It, Keep falsehood and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. My daily bread. Now, we, we've heard that phrase before, haven't we? Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. The kingdom come that will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. We get that. Daily bread. Day bread for the day. This concept is, is, is back all the way back to the Exodus. Remember when the people of God were, were going through the desert and they didn't have food to eat? Exodus 16. And uh, suddenly what does God do? He literally brings down bread from heaven. And he tells them this. Gather bread for you and your family for the day. Don't, don't, just take for you and your family for the day. That's all you need to have. And then I will provide more for you tomorrow. Don't hold more than you what you need. Don't hold on to more, more than you, what you need. And uh, what would happen? Of course, the people would eat for the day and try to stockpile. And what would happen the next day? The bread would turn into maggots. Their maggots would come out of the bread and it would smell bad. Now, I've got a picture. Now, I can't show you a picture of maggots because that makes me sick. There's nothing that makes me just sicker than, than seeing that. But it's a, it's a, it's a visual. Of, it's for this day. To be dependent on me. And it's, a, it's this teachable moment with God that you are dependent on me. Be dependent on God. Command, if we keep going in Timothy, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God. See, what happens is this. When we begin to accumulate stuff, when we begin to accumulate stuff, we have an appetite for more stuff and for more stuff. And when you have more stuff, you become less dependent on God and more dependent on the stuff and on the things. You have this appetite that that, that, that it comes within us. We, we all kind of have that appetite, we, the, desire, the desire for more. And, and Proverbs 18, 11, and 12 says this, the wealth of the rich is their fortified city. They imagine it a wall too high to scale. Before a downfall, the heart is haughty, but humility becomes before honor. What is it saying here? That the rich, they build up these walls of safety. If I just have X amount of money, if I, just, if I can just save this, then there will be a city that I'll have these walls that will protect me from anything. That will protect 
me from anything. I don't need anything else. I've provided everything. I'm protected from the world. I don't need God. Now, none of us would say that, right? There was a guy that, that actually did a, a little while ago, and, and he's known for saying audacious things. His name's Bill Maher. He said this, I, I just don't get it. The thought of someone else cleansing me of my sins, it's ridiculous. I don't need anyone to cleanse me. I can cleanse myself. Now, let's just pause here. You, you know these guys, they, they say things. It's called a shtick to, to get people to, to click or to watch or to do things. Now, none of us would ever say anything like that out loud, but I know some people that, that think it. I don't need God. That's the heart of it. You see, being rich should not make us less dependent on God, but it certainly makes us susceptible to pride and to arrogance. And we know, we know that wealth is uncertain, right? I mean, can we get an amen there? Wealth is uncertain. It's here, and then it suddenly, it disappears. I mean, do we need a flashback to 2008 when suddenly things just disappeared in people's 401ks and are gone? You cannot predict money and wealth. And things with our hearts, they migrate. They tend to migrate. And they, they tend to go toward things. And you've, heard, you know, you've heard this. I, mean, I cannot stand it when, when, when pastors talk about money. You know why pastors a lot of times talk about money? Jesus talked about money all the time. A third of his parables were about money. And it wasn't about getting money, but the fact that money is so influential in our lives. It, it, it just, it controls us. It rules us. It, it, it deceives us. There's a couple of statements I want to put on the screen, and it's kind of a test for us this morning. It's a test for me. I, I love the way Andy Stanley puts this. He says this, which of these two statements creates the greatest anxiety within you? First statement, there is no God. God doesn't exist at all. What, what may you've known, there, there is no God. It, it just, it, it's not out there. Second statement, you have no money. You have absolutely nothing. Whatever you have in your bank account, your house is gone, your credit cards, you can't get them anymore, they're gone. Car's gone, everything's gone. Which creates the most like turmoil within your, your soul right now? Okay? Now, let me ask you this. What if you were on your, your deathbed, which would provide the most anxiety in your soul? I've been thinking about that this week. My grandmother, she's getting ready to pass away, and I've kind of been in that room this week. I don't know if you've ever been in that room before. We're kind of waiting. My grandma's sweet lady, going to see Jesus soon. Um, but just the reality of when you get to that moment, it, it, it's... The, 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 that's pretty easy to decide which one you're most worried about there. Now, my grandmother, sweet southern lady, we're trying to play games in the room to try to, you know, just have a good time in the middle of the, the, the moments. We're playing this game. Have you played that game Heads Up before? A lot of fun. We're laughing, having a good time. My grandma's asleep, and suddenly in her southern voice, she says, y'all need to keep that racket down. I'm trying to sleep in here. And kicks us out of her room. Can you believe she would do that? But when you get to that moment, you know what? I think that we want to put our, our hope in God in that moment. I think we want to put our hope in God, that he, he is who he says he is, that what he said is true, and that there is a hope and there is a place and there's a future for us. 
So if I, I believe that we would want to put our hope in God there. So why don't we put our hope in God before we get there? Before we get there. Man. Because there's a lot of things that we can put our, our, our hope in that just will vanish and go away. Things I've noticed, uh, something else I've noticed about rich people, last thing, they've, they hoard and hold on to what they have. They hoard and hold on to what they have. They have very tight fists. Now, if you have ever worked in the tipping business, I was a valet for about three years, you know this to be true. My greatest hope was that, a, as a, as, in the hopes for tips, was that that couple was, because I worked at a very nice restaurant uh, working for tips in college, was that that couple who would go in there once a year celebration dinner, they couldn't really afford the dinner, but they were going to celebrate, and they would pull up in their very older Toyota Corolla. I would fight for that car. Now, the Mercedes, you're going to get like a buck and some change, like, or some like, I don't know, belly button lint. Uh, it's not, but that couple, extravagance in, in their giving, in their tipping. Maybe because they've been there before, but just very generous. This is what the Chronicle of Florence philanthropy says in America the more money we make the smaller percentage we give the smaller percentage people that make less give a higher percentage to those who make more 1 Timothy 6 17 and 18 says it this way put their hope in God he's giving more instructions to people those rich people put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment Command them to do good, be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. I love this, this word generosity. The Hebrew word, it, really, it literally means to saturate with water, a symbol of life, to overflow in a way that brings life to people. The message version of that is he, he's instructing us to tell those people that are rich. He's instructing Timothy to tell those people to give extravagantly. To extravagantly, extravagantly be generous. To be generous extravagantly. I love that, that concept. Have you ever, in a couple of weeks, we're going to be at Christmas, and you had that gift exchange moment where you're going to exchange gifts with someone, and say you, you've got someone that you had that moment, and they pull out this, this, this box for you, this gift, and they find out that your favorite book is gone with the wind, and they give you a first, they found a first edition Gone with the Wind book, all right? And they actually had to, because it was in such a remote place, they had to go and fly to San Francisco to get that book for you because the old lady that had it would not, did not know how to ship anything. But they went all the way there just to get the book for you. And it's signed by the author. And at that moment, you realize that you have that box with potholders in it. In the gift exchange moment, have you had that moment? You're like, Okay, this isn't the real gift. Uh, I got the real gift later on kind of moment. God is the one with the great gift, and we are the one that gives the potholders because God is an extravagant giver. He is a God that is so generous in so many different ways for us. He does it amazing. He does it with his love. We love I love that verse, Ephesians 3.19. It says this, May you experience the love of Christ though it is too great to fully understand. You cannot wrap your mind around God's love and how it is for us. It, that's how extravagant he is. In Matthew 18, he tells this parable. There's a guy that actually owes 500 years worth 
of debt to someone, to this king. And he begs, please forgive me of this debt. Please forgive me of it. And what happens? The king says, you are forgiven. The servant goes out and he sees another servant that owes him just a small amount. What happens? The servant gets mad. You owe me money. Give me back my money. He has him thrown in jail. The king hears about this and brings the person back and says, wait a second. Wait a second. I just forgave you a, an un, impossible amount of money. I mean, 500 years worth of labor, and you couldn't forgive a servant just a small amount? What kind of reaction to my generosity is this? And I think that's the question for us today. When we're overwhelmed by God's generosity for us, his grace for us, what is our response? What is our response to that? Because he's given us so much, and he is asking us to be a generous giving, a heart full of gratitude when we finally get that. that this, this concept at the very beginning is, I think, the key part for us. It's all his. It's all his. Now, I know that's so hard for us to wrap our mind around, but the minute we realize that it's all his and we have a heart full of gratitude for that, being a generous giver in life, it's so much easier. There's somebody that, that, that got this... Uh, I watched this video this week, and it just kind of challenged me. Uh, her name is Dr. Renee Lockie, and she lives in, uh, in Austin. <laughs> I used to have this idea that I would be free um, when I was, well, I don't know. I think, that, I, think in, I think there was a time when I thought freedom and control had a lot to do with each other. Somewhere probably around high school, I made a decision that I wanted to go into medicine. I knew I wanted to be a physician. It was a, it was a while before I settled on the specialty of obstetrics and gynecology. I drive to work each day, really feeling blessed that I have the career I have, that God has given me a job that's a ministry. I feel like I've got the best job in the world. I think the problem for, for a long while was that my vision of what was freedom was not in line with what God says is freedom. I, I mean, I had a real turning point at 37. It's about three years ago. I've been in Austin for seven years, been in practice as an OB-GYN for seven years. I had accomplished everything I set out to accomplish. And then to feel a sense of like a just a hole, like an emptiness inside, as if something was missing, and yet not know what that is. As God realigned my values with his values and showed me places where I thought I was free, but I wasn't yet free, that, that changed everything. Because suddenly there were some areas where I had to take some steps of surrender, imagining that those were gonna lead to more restriction and less freedom, only to find the opposite was true. That was in money, that was in relationship. But I didn't really understand yet what true freedom was gonna look like. So often when I get home from work, I can't wait to get my shoes on and get out on the trail. When I'm running, I hear really radical things from God, and that's where I go to meet Him. I feel like that's the time when he puts thoughts in my head that are really beyond myself. 
the biggest and most radical thing I've ever heard was your relationship and your faith are not compatible and it's time to do something about that. I mean, that was my big breakthrough was 07. You know, God moved me out of a relationship, convinced me and convicted me that that was not honoring to Him and it was time to, to lay that down. The second most frightening thing I've ever heard God say um, had to do with my finances. You can't go and look at another culture and not do this compare and contrast of like, this is what they have, this is how they live, this is what I have, and this is how I live. There are times when I would just sit in that and it would just break me. And I just realized that it's only by God's grace that I have anything more than they have. It's not because I'm entitled to it or I deserve it. And even if I say, well, yeah, but I earned it or I worked for it, then I would hear in the other ear, but I gave you the ability. I gave you the opportunity, I gave you the talent, I gave you the funding, I gave you the resource, I gave you the education. It's like, what do you have that I haven't given you? I was on a run and I just in a conversation with him, just thinking about how might I change in response to what I had just seen, what I had just experienced. I'm just running and I hear God say, I want you to work like a doctor and I want you to live like a nurse. So I started thinking, well, sure, I could live on half my salary. And then I started thinking, well, I could live on a quarter of my salary. And I just kind of froze in that and started thinking, well, about a quarter of my salary is probably about what the average nurse is making. I basically just took my salary and I just sectioned it off. And I said, well, this is, a, this is a, what a nurse would make. And then the remaining three quarters is his. And I felt like God said, that's right, that's what you share. I'm not gonna lie, it took some time getting used to living on a budget again. I hadn't really had to stop and think about how I was spending my money for a while. I don't feel like God is only asking me to spend and live within my means, but I think he's also talking to me about how I save. I mean, I've been saving for retirement pretty generously and investing a lot of money. My goals were to retire at 50 and to retire with a certain amount of money, to live at a certain lifestyle. You know, I lost six figures in an investment and, and at that point I felt like, you know, I, had a, I was telling you that's when I had a lot of peace. And I had a lot of peace because I felt like God was saying, why are you saving so much money? When I have a choice about whether to save or whether to share and I get to bless somebody, often behind the scenes, and, um, and see the way that it's impacted their life. And the reality is, it feels right. It's very satisfying. That hole that I had three or four years ago, that I wondered, what is it and how do I get it filled, has been filled to overflowing. And I feel like it fills me up and then it pours out to others around me in a way that I, I hope I bring a lot of joy to people's lives. And that joy I wouldn't have to give if he hadn't first given it to me. So. 1 Timothy 6:19. This way they will lay up treasures for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. God has called us to be a generous people. Why? Because he's a generous God. He's called us to be like him.
He's a generous God. And he gives it with so many more ways than finances and the things that we have. He gives it in grace. He gives it in forgiveness. He, his love is extravagant for you today. I don't know about you, but when I just pause and I realize that God has forgiven me of so much, how dare I not pass that on to someone else? God has given me and blessed me with so much love in my life. How, how can I hold that back? God has gifted and given me so much with stuff and things that moth and rust will it's going to destroy it why are we why do we hold on to things that are so pointless one of the most valuable things that we hold on to and hoard in our lives time it's our time we spend it on things that are needless God has given us so much this morning it's a call uh, to remembering who we got everything from it's a call to remember who our God is and it's a call to to pray and to praise our Lord because we need to be dependent on him. Prayer that I, I have for us is a, just a, a community to end before we, we sing is this. This is our prayer just in case, just in case we ever get rich, just in case. Lord, help us not to be arrogant. Help us to put our hope in you in all circumstances, even when wealth leads and is gone. Help us to be extravagantly generous because that is who you are. And that, my friends, is where full life is found. If we are generous like he is. Let's pray. God, thank you. Thank you, thank you. God, you are so good to us. Lord, forgive us when we have robbed you, when we have taken, when we have said, mine, 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 mine. It's yours. It always has been. It's never changed. It's always been yours. We are just lucky to be able to... to to be the stewards of the things that you've given us. God, help us to be good stewards. Help us not to be prideful or arrogant. Help us to be people that are open-handed and generous with all that we have, things that we can see and things that we can't see, and help us not to believe the lie that our identity is found in those things. But, Lord, our identity is found in you. And that is where true life is, God. We declare this morning in, in, in time of praise and in song, Lord, that we are so utterly dependent on you, God. We need you for everything. God, forgive us the moment. Lord, forgive me those moments that I have forgotten. That very simple but so true principle. I need you, God. And I'm so grateful for you. Lord, we pray these things in your name. Amen. Let's sing together.